Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to Season 2 of the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And I'm greatly enjoying the onset of season two and still have to pinch myself that we've already been having this much fun for over a year. My assistant producer, Christine, has found another heart-centered leader that she's been so excited to have on the show. So let me introduce you to Fahad Al-Hatab today. Fahad is a millennial workplace expert. I just love just the sound of that. And he teaches new managers how to lead, listen to this term, multi-generational teams. He uses humor and storytelling, storytelling and actionable advice, and his keynotes have inspired over 50,000 people to become unicorn leaders who have developed unstoppable teams that attract and retain top talent. So Fahad, I'm so honored to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited. Deb. Thanks for that beautiful introduction. You know, I'm getting goosebumps just talking to you and getting ready to ask you my first leadership question. For the last year, we've been chatting about the phrase that leadership belongs to no one. You don't have to be a certain age or have stature or a title. So I'm just going to go with the term that you use in your bio. What is the greatest difficulty that you've observed in your heart-centered leadership with the struggles or let's call them barriers or challenges with multi-generational teams? It's a... That's a good one. That's, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack out of that one. You know, I'll, I'll take you to a take you to a personal experience in this. Um, at the age of 21, I was uh, elected as the president of the student union at Carleton University. That's where I went and finished my my undergrad there. And at the end of my undergrad, I, I ran to be the president of student union. And you know, for people who aren't in that space, student unions are quite quite massive, right? You know, they collect funds from all students. It was an $8 million organization. And you run as a student to get elected and you get elected and you get an office. And then you realize there's 150 staff that work for this nonprofit. And there are full-time staff that have been there for 20, 30 plus years. And here you are, a 21-year-old kid who just got elected, brand new to, to be in charge as the executive, as the president and CEO. And I say, you know, I, I was there for two years and I'd say I made every single leadership mistake in the book possible <laughs> during that time. But it was that time when I, I had to, without even knowing it, learn around some of the principles of multi-generational leadership, because I had peers who were also elected, who were my age, you know, in their 20s as students or executives, we had student staff, but then we also had staff that, you know, could have been our parents' age. 
um, right, significant differences in that. And they look to us to set strategy. They look to us to set the high level priorities. And obviously they understood the functions that they played, you know, the, them having been part of the student union much longer than us. And it was, you know, always a um, challenge in the beginning. Uh, and I have for now a number of years coached and trained uh, new student executives who take on these roles. And it's always this challenge. You know, we come in with these bright ideas and brilliant kind of ambition and go, go, go of all the things that we want to do um, as young, ambitious leaders. And we feel that we're being slowed down by the past generation. But then the same time, the older generation looks at us and says, listen, kid, I've been here for 25 years. You know, I, I know what needs to be done. You're, you're, you know, we've done this before. We haven't done, you know, and, and so there's this constant clash between the new and the old. And there's and, and never more present aside from those student unions. Now, I've worked with companies across the board now. Mostly we focus on technology companies and tech startups. And so even in those tech startups, we see the challenges of multi-generational um, uh, uh, workplaces, you know, with Gen Z, millennials, boomer, you know, so on and so forth, all across the spectrum, Generation X, like all across now. And we see that, you know, one of the, one of my, one of my, one of my favorite line that I like to pick on um, comes from, you know, our, our older generation, our boomers who will say, you know, this, this new generation is spoiled. They have it easy. They don't know what it's like to work hard. They're entitled, so on and so forth. Um, in one of my presentations, I usually pull up a, a quote on a, on a slide deck that has exactly that. And then I ask them who they think said it. And you get a bunch of names, you know, oh, it's the CEO. Oh, I think I even said that. Oh, you know, and different people jump in. And then I'll show who said it. And it was Socrates <laughs> who said the exact same thing, you know, in his writings. And, and what we see is that generation after generation, there is this perspective on that. We, you know, one generation, the next generation is softer, they're more entitled, it's easier for them. And on the one aspect I'll agree is that it's probably easier for them only in the sense that civilization's progress basically makes it easier to live life. That's, I mean, all of technology, all of pol politics, all of governance, uh, everything we, you and I do every day is essentially to create better human life. So if a generation doesn't have it easier than next, then, then actually we've failed. Right. So it should be easier. So I'll give them that. But we sometimes, you know, the, the other one I pick on, especially for this generation, is that we say softer, the soft millennials, the snowflakes. And I would say that it's interesting because one of the key components of heart centered leadership that I think you would agree, Deb, with is that uh, emotional intelligence is the core pillar and its importance. Our boomer generation, my father's generation, especially men, for a second, I'll pick on learned that when emotions came, that they were to mask emotions, to put them aside, because emotions got in the way of logic, strategy, and our ability to lead and do the best. However, we have taught, and this is a good thing, the millennial generation, and more even so the Gen Z generation, the partner is a teacher, to actually go through emotions versus pushing them aside. And it's the fact that we have millennials and Yazis who are willing to try and go through an emotion versus pushing it aside 
that we've now started to have a discussion on, are you soft? Why are you talking about emotions? Why are you upset? You know, I, I, I heard a funny quote the other day. I say, oh, back in the, the 80s, we used to say sticks, uh, sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words will never hurt me. And today, generations are saying words are violence. Well, words can be violence in a workplace, right? Words can be hurtful. Before, we were willing to push it aside and pretend like it's not there but no longer. That's progress. That's progress in leadership. That's progress in our willingness to allow our other fellow humans to work through an emotion. And so what I have found in terms of the generational splits is that they're not necessarily um, purely generational. They have a lot to do with personality dynamics. They have a lot to do with workplace, what's been available from an economic perspective. They have a lot to do with what the, that generation has gone through from, from a societal perspective in terms of shifts and changes. You know, pandemics can be a big one that shifts, you know, generational workplace behaviors. And so when you line up all the changes, all the differences and personalities and all that, you start to understand it a lot more. And so sometimes um, all we ever do with some teams to help bridge the gap of multi-generation teams. And we go in and work with small teams sometimes is we play a fun game called the chapters of our lives. And we just give people a chance to actually share about their life. Five chapters. If you could write a book about your life and you are stunned and surprised at the amount of empathy in that moment that is developed simply as a human, when we understand the person we're working with across the table and it no longer feels like a, multi-generational divide but it's just that your experiences dad were different than mine and i love and respect you for the differences oh i don't even know where to unpack this there's so many good nuggets you know you've basically so eloquently just said that you know there's no beautiful one size box with a red bow that we all open Leadership is customized to the individual. Amen. Karsh Blanc, let's drop the mic, put a big period. But that team building exercise that you did, I love. And as an executive coach, I wanted to align with something you said. When an executive VP or even a C-suite leader says, oh, I handled it. I told him or her, we're going to agree to disagree. Oh, gosh. And I said, well, I love that you've chosen and made a decision to have that systematic habit of thinking. But what if we peeled back the onion, the banana, whatever fruit, vegetable you need here? Why don't we find out why you disagree? So when you talk about the five chapters of life, and I love what you said, you know, when people have emotion, our employees, our customers, none of us wake up saying, I'm going to have a really, really awful day today and be nasty to everyone. Mm. It is our duty and our honor to wear heart-centered leadership on our chest as an attribute to being a human. And you can have that and still execute, like you talked about, about your dad, that business acumen, it doesn't mean you're less than. Mm -hmm. I think it means you're more. Because when we can connect with people, which is my definition of heart-centered leadership, 
and really listen, like at a visceral level, you will hear the emotion and then you can take them back and say, tell me about that. Because you add in this global pandemic, you add in, you know, the ingredient of the recipe of working at home, the recipe's getting more added to it. And it's a harder navigation for leadership, but it's doable if we stop overthinking it, right? So I love that. It leads so nice into my favorite question. So my next question has permanent residence on the podcast. <laughs> and we would love to know what imperfections, I know you shared a little bit at the beginning, what imperfections do you have? Let's date stamp it right now today during this podcast that you bring to your heart-centered leadership. And where is your badge of honor to be better? <laughs> that's, uh, that's, a, that's a phenomenal one, Deb. So one of the... Um, you know, at the, at the, at the center of what you said, you said, you know, leadership is, is an individualized act. Um, and that is a center of, of what we teach, which is this, you know, kind of the premise of, okay, we're going to look at multi-generational differences and, and we will point them out, but at the center of it, you need to understand that leadership must be individualized approach. And one of the ways we help teams with that is, you know, classic, uh, uh, personality tests, right? I love the disc test. So that's the one that, you know, we've used and there are plenty of great ones, but they help people understand their different personalities. Now, if you're familiar with the DISC test, I fall under the DI type personality. The D type tends to be a little abrasive, a little assertive, a little aggressive, a little, I know what we should be doing, so let's do it this way. And, you know, fundamentally, my biggest flaw in leadership has been the one I've carried for many, many years, and it continues to be today. It's that... I can, I can have a really, really good vision. I can really see what we want to achieve as a team. I can see where people's potential is. And I really want to push people to get there. I'm a driver. I'm a pace setter. I like to push. I am ambitious. And so I expect other people to work as hard as I do. I expect other people who want to, to want to achieve and to want to grow. And, and I can be just... I, I, I can have blinders on when I'm set out to, to, to achieve a goal. I can have blinders on when I get feedback in, in, I, I just directly give it, can you do this? Can we change this? Can we do, you know, and, and sometimes that, that piece is just the, the relationship hasn't developed to be able to receive that feedback in that way. The person doesn't know me enough to, to know that I'm not upset. I'm just, I, you know, so I, I constantly, I constantly, that's my, my biggest badge of honor in my challenge, my imperfection in my leadership is that, you know, I am too much a driver and not enough a coach or a facilitator at times. Well, and the fun, the fun of that is, and what you tell me as a coach is you're a vivid visionary. So you're that independent, effortless, thought leader, let's go, cheerleader. And I just need to bring you back a little bit and say, okay, let's get some discipline and some structure and we're going to get there. But you know what? It's so fun and it's nice to see your your smile from ear to ear because when we own our imperfections, I think it allows us to be more heart centered. And I'm, and I'm like you, I love instilling humor and storytelling because at the end of the day, we're all just people. We're not titles and stature. We're just people. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so fun. 
without a doubt, you know, and I've had, you know, I would say, I, I think there are two specific team members that I thank to this day because they sat me down and they had the, the willingness and they felt safe enough to do this, but they ripped me into shreds, right? Like they just, you know, you're too aggressive. You're this, you're that, you need to change this. You can't do this. And just like, I, it was one of the most humbling experiences uh, to go through. And, and I, I, I refer a lot to the student union because a lot happened there you know, at, at an early age of 20, 21, 22, my leadership, like, like I say, I made every mistake in the book. That's when people, you know, I really thought I was there. I'm elected. Here's what I want to do. And this is what we're going to do. And unfortunately, if, if your leadership is purely based on the authority that you have, you, you get very, you, you, you very quickly run into walls. You very quickly realize that authoritative leadership has very, very little leg room and does not actually get you anywhere. And so, you know, I <laughs> appreciate you bringing that up. So, well, and the relatability that you have to everyone, whether it's a client or somebody you mentor or coach, you can look at them with laughter and say, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Okay, here's what, here's what we need to do. And I know this because I did it. So, you know, kudos to your coworkers for, for instilling you with a complimentary Tilt 365 assessment, <laughs> unsolicited. I love it. Now, my third question is talk to us about how you've inspired over 50,000 people to be unicorn leaders. What does that mean and where did that passion come from? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for, for asking that. Let's, let's start by understanding how unicorn leaders, I mean, the term we've started to use and the way we've defined it is, is, is recent in the last number of years, but fundamentally there, there are core principles to leadership. And I believe leaders are measured not by their results, but by their ability to build a high-performing team. Because at the end of the day, as a leader, I think we have a false narrative of leadership, the mythologized kind of narrative of, of leadership that we create in movies and you know, perhaps in Western society where it's an individual. And this individual leads and takes movements to great lengths. You know this from producing your podcast. You're not an individual producing the podcast. <laughs> You've got a team, just, just, just the podcast. Now imagine creating significant change in an organization or creating cultural change or standing up, uh, advocacy, uh, advocating for, for, for issues in our society that are extremely important to you. Leadership is not about the individual leader. It is about their team. It is about the amount of people that they can bring together and build. And so one of the fundamental beliefs of unicorn leadership is that the number one goal uh, and the number one objective of a leader is to build a high-performing team. And to be able to do that, the second fundamental piece of unicorn leadership is that you have to believe in the goodness of people. You have to believe that inherently, biologically, the people are actually good. And not that you know, underneath the surface, people are going to take advantage of you. Or, you know, there's this whole veneer theory that just below the surface, humanity will fall into chaos if, if our structures don't actually lend itself. And I, I, you know, I teach at the University of Ottawa and I always have a lecture that goes off about this veneer theory and, and this belief in our society that actually people aren't inherently good. We talk about losing faith in humanity and we talk about how if given the chance, people will take advantage of us. And a lot 
of, you know, or Lord of the Flies is a great example, right? Like of, of a fictional book that talks about British schoolboys lost on an island that turn against each other and go wild. It's a fictional book. The truth of the matter, what we see is that actually humanity rises to the occasion, is that people are actually inherently good. So that's, you know, our definition of, of leadership there for unicorn leaders is that they create high-performing teams, they believe in the goodness of people, and these attributes, there's so much more to it that we get into, but create 10x impact because of that. Well, and, and high performance and multi-generational. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's exactly. And it's, it's interesting. So my last leadership question is around uh, COVID because I I interviewed a really interesting woman that I want to introduce you to because I'm always connecting people. Love and it. her name is Helen Hirsch Spence. And she has started a new social startup called Top 60 Over 60. Ah. And she's been trying to demyth and debunk and be the cheerleader for ageism. Wow. And as I was reviewing, I thought I need to connect Fahad and Helen together. And, you know, she said technology was hard. And she talked about what you and I talked about at the beginning of this podcast. Transformation doesn't matter if it's people or things or business acumen or digital. It doesn't matter. The matter is leading with it, leaning into it, accepting it. And if you fail, it's okay. Cause one of your teammates are going to be there to say, Hey, come along. I'll help you. And that's what I said to her, find a friend, learn zoom. And now she's doing webinars and having Eventbrite. And it was such a great discussion. So here mm-hmm. is my question. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of retired professionals from trades to academic to medical who have been asked to come back out of retirement due to the navigation of these unprecedented times. What would be your leadership advice straight out of the unicorn lab for any listener today who wants to have, as you coin, top talent and retain it? What if we let go of the stringent criteria of stature academic, et cetera, et cetera. Didn't look at the age and just really embrace the person and what they could do for the greater good. What would be your advice to a leader pending this kind of thought leadership to really approach it with you as with your term, a unicorn leader and not worry about ageism and bring somebody back or integrate someone into a multi-generational team? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a great question, Deb. You know, one of the first things that we do with, with you know, aside from the five stories, uh, the five chapters with multi-generational teams, and, and we look at strength, a strength-based approach. The reality is that um, there are things that people 60 plus are not good at. And even for my friends who are listening to this podcast, who are 60 plus, Let's not start to pretend like you're good at certain things. Like, let's just own it. Like, there's just certain things you're not good at. Now, it's not an excuse to continue to, you know, like, that, but there are things that you're not great at. And so, so one of the things perhaps is, you know, certain technological tools. Then there are certain things that our new generations are not great at, right? There, let, I, I, the one I always like to pick on is the willingness to pick up the phone and call, Right. I, we need certain Gen Z and millennials sometimes 
you're having an issue with a customer, pick up the phone and call. Sometimes you're having an issue with a team member, stop texting them, get in front of them, get on a video call, right? So go to the old school modes of human communication is what we're having to do for our, 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 our younger generation. So there are actually complementary skills across the generation. So if I'm a leader and I'm looking to recruit, what I'm looking at when I'm trying to assemble the team is I'm looking at complementary skill sets of where can people fit and how can they thrive? And then how can they do the job the best? At times, you might just want to bring someone older as an advisor, as a coach, as, you know, having coaches as part of teams has been extremely valuable, right? Obviously, we're hired at Unicorn Labs to provide coaching services to companies as external. But imagine you had an internal coach who had been through your company, they're retired, but they'd love to come once or twice a week to do some coaching. I think that is a phenomenal opportunity to help at the the human pieces, the emotional intelligence pieces, the management pieces, the leadership strategic pieces, that there's a lot of value in historical uh, uh, context that can be helpful there. So look for the complementary skill sets, own the weaknesses we have, and then own their strengths and, and, and find a way, how can we help them deliver their strengths more? Is it that they need um, someone to help them with some of the technology. Well, a new grad costs you 25 bucks an hour to help them with the technology. So what if you're adding a bit of cost resources to help them maneuver the 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 simpler pieces, right? But yet you get the value of 30 years experience in sales, 30 years experience in management, 30 years experience in customer service, right? There is a value in that knowledge that I think we, we as young leaders underappreciate um, in our older generational folks, because we joke, you know, oh, you're, you know, 30 years experience, but you can't flip around a PDF. That's the, like, that's our millennial joke is that you don't know how to open up a PDF or flip it around or, you know, but yet, you know, you've got 30 years experience. And the reality is that that's true, but flipping a PDF is a replaceable skill. Emotional intelligence is not an easily replaceable skill right? That takes years upon years of honing in on. And the irony of emotional intelligence is that everyone always thinks they're emotionally intelligent, right? Like this, you know, it's going to go around. You have to be self-aware enough to identify that you're not self-aware. There's a, there's an ironic piece to any assessment in that sense, right? So. Well, and what I love there is I think the biggest point that stood out for me, and I have this conversation weekly with VPs of talent and culture, and I'm so happy that name got changed from HR and human capital. And I I love the new name, talent and culture, because that's what it is. Yes. People are talent and culture. You can't train friendly. Mm. Like you said, uh, figure it out how to open and edit a PDF and save it and send it or print it. That's trainable. But you can't train niceness. It's it's a honed, heart-centered skill. I think it comes from a deep place of resiliency, relatability, and I think it is the highest level of honor you can give to a customer or a client. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the ones that do it really well are the older generation. And, and think about it. When you think about history and what they've come from, You know, uh, so I'm the Gen Xer. I'm right. I'm the first year after the baby boomers. And it's so interesting because people think you're a baby boomer or they think you're a Gen Y. And I'm like, oh, you you guys forgot about us. (laughs) And it was 
it was honed into us as kids. You know, you, we were meant to be seen and not heard. So what did that do for us? Taught us resilience, but it taught us to listen. Mm-hmm. And when you really listen, not only do you hear, but you feel, see the emotion. Mm-hmm. And you couple that with some good leaders and some good mentoring, and it's a fostered foundational skill. And it saddens me when I meet accidental leaders and I'll coach them and they'll say, I don't want to lead. Like, I just want to go back to my lab or I want to go back to my spreadsheet or whatever. And I'm like, but somebody sees something in you. Where in your lineage did you stop seeing it or have you ever seen it? Mm. And it's such a fun, it's just such a fun moment to unpack because if people aren't allowed to fail forward, it's stopping to say, why do you feel like that? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's like you said, let's go through that emotion. Mm-hmm. Why do you feel imposter syndrome when you're in a meeting with Tom and Joanne? Let, let's talk about it. Let's, let's talk through it so that we put you in the unicorn lab and have you come out a leader so you won't repeat that. And oh, what did we learn along the way? Like so powerful. Yes, yes. I love it. I love it. I wish people could see us smiling right now. It's so no. great. <laughs> you know, I, 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 just to pick off your, your imposter syndrome thought here, you know, I think it was about two years ago, I went to a mentor of mine and I said, um, so, you know, I'm really feeling imposter syndrome lately. We're building on new products. We're building on new processes. Team is growing. I'm punching a bit above my, my weight class. And he said, um, in an unempathetic way, it was a nice little slap to the face. He said, you're feeling positive? I said, yeah. He said, yeah, you and everyone else. And, and it was interesting. He was a little unimpeded, but in that moment, he helped me realize, and, and we continue to have a conversation that like almost everyone feels the imposter syndrome. It's actually quite biological in nature when I, when I go back and study it, because as humans, we're pack animals and we're, we're, we, we, we want to belong to a group and not stand out. And the moment we feel like we're standing out, we feel that we might be ostracized from the group, which by, you know, evolutionarily we're, we're, we're then, you know, we don't survive. We're not part of the pack. We're not part of the tribe. We're, we're kicked out. We're going to fend for ourselves and we're not going to survive. So we are doing every, your biology is doing everything it can to try and make you fit in everything. So if you're feeling imposter syndrome, just know that that's a good feeling and lean into it because in oh, our society yeah. today, it's what actually should be your indicator for leadership. If you're not feeling it, then you're probably not leading. You're not pushing. You're not trying to do something new. I had a, I had a colleague, we're having vulnerable moments, so I'll share one. Uh, when I started the podcast and this colleague said, like, why do you want to start a podcast? Like, there's like already a million of them out there. And I said, but there's not one by Deb Crow. <laughs> and you want to be a leader forging a path? If it was easy, everybody would have one. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And I had an Irish Nana that used to say to me, you'll always have butterflies when you get up to speak. And I think imposter syndrome is kind of the cousin to this cliche. The -hmm. butterflies are there to remind us that our ego always stays in check. Oh, I love that. I love that. So imposter syndrome, invite it in. Honor it, like you say, lean in, welcome it into the lab, and then say goodbye to it, and then walk out of the lab as a unicorn leader. Yeah. 
and hold on to the humility that it gives you. Yeah. And know that the door to the Unicorn Lab is always open to talk about it. But when you leave, you drop it at the door. <laughs> we we got to get you a sign made for sure. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to switch to my fast Fab Four because okay. I always love to hear what's on the top of my guest brilliance minds. Oh, geez. <laughs> okay, first question. Tell us something that we don't know about you. Ooh, tell me something you don't know about me. Um, wow. Well, I mean, I, I, I feel like, you know, we share so much on the internet. I'm like, it's, it's all kind of out there. I'm, I'm one of six kids. Um, I mean, if you know me personally, sometimes you know that I'm one of six kids, uh, and we came to Canada in 1998. I wasn't born here. Um, and, uh, that sometimes surprises people and, 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 but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm second brother, but I'm the fifth kid. So I'm actually, you know, not, 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 not in the older kind of pack, but, uh, uh, kind of middle brother that gives me my loud, obnoxious little sometimes ways, you know, I had to kind of fight for my voice there. So there's, there's a little insight as to me. I grew up with a big, big family. There's eight of us in the house uh, with mom and dad. So, yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Modern day Brady Bunch. Yeah, exactly. You might have to Google that. I'm, I'm, I'm putting out my... <laughs> no, no, I, I, <laughs> I know the Brady Bunch well. <laughs> Finish this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? Heart-centered leadership is about compassion. And I use the word compassion versus empathy because empathy is something we feel for others. Compassion is an action. It is when we act on empathy. Love that. I love that. Third question. Share with us a book that you're reading right now. What's the title? Who's the author? And why did you choose to read it? Um, so I'll share the one I'm reading right now, and then I'll share the one that I really want to recommend instead. Uh, <laughs> so the one I'm reading right now is called The Happiness Advantage, and it's pure concept. Is, I mean, it's a famous book, well-known, bestseller, um, but it asks the question is that a lot of us chase success to get happiness, but what if happiness came first? And uh, I'm reading it because I actually have started a book club with a number of colleagues, old friends. We've got a group of 24 kind of fantastic young professionals who are, who are just superstars in their field. We get together monthly and we discuss a new book and we kind of have fun and, and over Zoom and we chat about it in our group chat. So we chose the happiness uh, advantage as, as one of it. Um, it's kind of a they, they call it the unofficial Unicorn Labs book club because I started it, but I was like, it's not really a Unicorn Labs thing. It's just friends, but they're all like, we're part of the Unicorn Labs book club. My number one recommendation is uh, Humankind um, by, she's right here, by Rutger Bergman, A Hopeful History. Um, it is a book, an extraordinarily book, extraordinarily impressive book that tries to show us that humans are inherently good. And to fight the narrative, the veneer theory narrative that I was talking about earlier, it's one of my favorite reads. It fundamentally shifted my view on many practices that we have today. I love that. And last question. What is one thing that you want our listeners to remember about you? One thing I want them to remember about me. Um... Oh, that's a, <laughs> you turned it, you turned it to be about me and I wasn't, 
I guess one thing I'd, I'd like for them to, to remember about me is that I, like a lot of them, learned leadership through trial and error and kind of falling on my face, failing, disastrous decisions. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. We can reach out to mentors, to coaches. We can read. We can take on online courses. And I was lucky that in my journey of leadership, I stumbled upon some really good mentors later on that helped kind of change that. But as a young leader, we think we're supposed to know. And we believe in the mythologies of leadership, what we see in the storybooks and even the biographies and autobiographies that sometimes, you know, have a narrative dilemma where they tie in events that aren't you know, completely true. There's a good difference between power and truth. A powerful narrative is beautiful because it sells you and you buy into it, but sometimes not purely the truth and how ugly the truth actually is. And so as leaders, I'd like for them to know that that's a lesson I, I learned and I now want them to learn. Well, you have been an absolute delight to interview on the show. You've been worth the wait. I know we had a we had a couple of reschedules just because <laughs> of business things. And I just want to wish you continued success. And thank you for sharing your time and your energy and your expertise. But most importantly, thank you for sharing your heart in all that you do, Fahad. Thank you. Thank you, Deb, for uh, creating a space like this uh, for leaders for championing the cause, for inviting me in. I really appreciate it, for giving me a chance to share with your audience, with all the amazing people that, that listen to your brilliant advice. Thank you for letting me add a few more sprinkles to the wonderful um, content that you create. So this has well, been an absolute pleasure. We lift and rise together and uh, I, I want to pass to the Unicorn Lab and uh I think we need to get some unicorn leadership t-shirts or something made. And the book club, you know what? Look what you've created just from your heart. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank Congratulations. You. I appreciate that. Thank you. So thanks for joining us, everybody. And we will put all of Fahad's information below in the podcast episode description. And we'll see you next time on Imperfect. You've been listening to the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart-Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.